Tanya at 37, the study of the 37th chapter of Tanya. For those of you who might have a book, a Sefer of Tanya in front of you, if you open to Pedic Lamed Zayin, you'll see that the 37th chapter begins on page 92, it's in the old print, in the Vilna print, and in the classic English translation, that would be on page 160, Godly Spirit, with those words. Okay, my friends. The Alter Rebbe does not preface what we're going to talk about now with any kind of question. He doesn't, doesn't even indicate this chapter with a proverbial question that we'll, we'll both understand it better. The question is this. As I posted earlier, one might ask, if it is global change that we seek to affect, why are my individual mitzvahs so important? Now, you're, you're asking, like, what's this guy talking about? Why, why are you, if it's global change, we're going to affect. You elevate another person. You uplift another person. You growl at them. You hit the horn. You cut them off because you're in a bad mood. Now they're in a bad mood. And then they pass it on. But in order for you to be sitting at that table and drinking that cup of coffee, there were millions of people involved. Think about where the coffee bean came from. And it's in a plastic lid, and it's got a glass jar that contained it. Somebody had to create all of the pieces that put together your coffee machine or hot water urn. Somebody had to create all the pieces that are in the factory that created your instant coffee. There were other people who were involved in the planting and harvesting of the coffee beans. And they used all kinds of machinery that had all kinds of parts. And they were all wearing clothes. And some of them even had cell phones in their pockets, and that's how they were able to communicate and get it done in an efficient and effective manner, because if they were making a profit, they wouldn't be doing it. Every single tiny detail in that phone that they were using or communication device was created by somebody somewhere. I, I could go on. We talked about this last week. The point is that when, when what brought you to that moment of the mitzvah, when you do the mitzvah, not only elevates the glass of, or cup of coffee, but everything that was involved in bringing the cup of coffee to this place. So making a bracha, mindfully, thanking Hashem, and then drinking from the cup of coffee for the purpose of being able to use that energy to do good things is a global event. I get that. We talked about this. So suppose one morning somebody forgot to make his bracha. He goes through thousands of cups of coffee in his lifetime. And one morning he forgot. He said, what are you talking about? That's terrible. You, 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 you ate, you drank, you benefited from God's bounty, and you didn't first, so to speak, have permission? Whereas the Rebbe explains, you didn't first put yourself over under the dominion of Hashem so that you should be allowed to enjoy what belongs to Hashem? That, that, that's sinful. That's like your moya, like you're violating something which was designated for a higher cause. It's almost like an act of theft. So it's an aver, it's a sin. So give me a break. I elevated the coffee yesterday. I, I uplifted all the thousands of things for yesterday's coffee. So today's coffee I didn't elevate. I'll elevate a cup of coffee in an hour. So I'm eating food that's not kosher. Oh, that's a very bad thing. Okay, fine. 
I'll, I'll eat food that's kosher in an hour and I'll, I'll do lots of mitzvahs then. So you'll come back and say, well, you know, every one of us only has so many days, as King David says near the end of Psalms, Yamum Yitzaru, there's days that are formed. Days that are formed. Every one of us, before we were born, there was a program written for us. Just think about a program that turns the lights on and turns the lights off and, and controls the climate. You know, these smart houses today. You can program a factory for decades, in theory. You get a program. And in the program, all of the things that are going to happen to you during the course of your lifetime have already been ordained. It's all in there. Every single detail is in there. Which means that you only have so many opportunities to make a bracha over a glass of coffee. I mean, a human being can only sustain or absorb that much coffee, and you're only going to have that many opportunities. So an opportunity missed is one opportunity missed. Did you put on your film today? If you didn't, you might still be able to if the sun hasn't gone down wherever you are now. And if you did, bummer, that's terrible. You missed today. People say, oh, Rabbi, leave me alone. I'll put on film tomorrow. I said, I, I hope you will, but that will never take the place of you're putting on in today. Because today is an opportunity that never comes back. And every morning, you wake up in the morning, and God's waiting. If you're a Jewish man, Hashem's waiting for you to put on film. And if you went through your whole day, you kept God waiting all day, and it's like nightfall, almost, will he? Bummer, missed it. Sun went down. Lost the opportunity. Today will never return. We can only do today what Hashem has ordained for us to do today. Now, if we are to say that I'm looking for my place in heaven, I got to complete my own jigsaw puzzle, and I have all these opportunities and all these pieces, and I have to make my life perfect. So if that's the case, if I lose a mitzvah, or if I commit an offense, I violate a mitzvah, I'm not going to have the reality that I was supposed to create. My eternity is going to be deficient. And of course, in order for me able to be able to create an eternity, God has to set me up or put me into a situation where I live in a reality that conceals the presence of the Creator, giving me the freedom to choose to do what is right or not. And ultimately, as a result of the choices that I make, I will be able to manufacture righteousness or create my own eternity, also referred to by people as the Garden of Eden, paradise, and so on and so forth. So if it's about me, if it's about us, on a personal or on our own personal journey, we got to float our own boat, I get it. Every mitzvah is an opportunity. You don't want to miss a single opportunity. But if we're going global, if we have this big picture with big ideas, we're thinking about the world. So, so every mitzvah is global impact and there's so many Jews doing so many mitzvahs and at some point that cup's gonna spill over. All right, so because of me, it, was, it tarried an extra nanosecond. Why is it necessary for every single year to do a mitzvah? That's kind of the question. That almost is an, a silly question because what do you mean? If there's, if there's so many mitzvahs needed and we have so many people who can do those mitzvahs, then if some people aren't doing those mitzvahs, well, then those mitzvahs aren't going to get done. But, but, but really, this is the kind of thing we subconsciously think about. If you get into this global mode where you're thinking of you know, what people like to talk about today, tikkun olam, which has nothing to do with, with, with 
liberal causes. I, I'm not making a statement one way or the other. I'm just making, telling you a fact. The tikkun olam is not a reflection of modern Western values. It isn't. I tell you that with absolute certainty. That's the Yiddishkeit is not the 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 uh, platform through which we advance isms or ideas which we believe to be true because we decided that our society or our time has embraced a particular ethos. And then we use our Yiddishkeit to justify it. That's like shooting the arrows and drawing the targets around. It's frankly intellectually dishonest and it, it's, it's fraudulent. It's just not real. So you have your bias, you have your ideas, wherever they came from, don't blame it on God and His Torah. You want to do what you want to do? Have fun. Knock yourself out. God's Torah is God's ideas. We do not approach the Torah with preconceived notions of what we know to be good, bad, or indifferent. We have to approach Hashem's Torah as an empty canvas. We have to ask Hashem. Hashem, tell us. For we believe that we were created in God's image, not the other way around. Creating a God in your own image is idolatry. So, as such, the notion of each and every one of us making this world a better place, which is tikkun olam, which means bringing Mashiach, that's what it actually means, and that's affected through the performance of mitzvahs. So sometimes we say to ourselves, you know, like, uh, okay, fine, somebody else will do a mitzvah today. I did enough mitzvahs. So, so what if I missed a half hour? So what if I wasn't on top of my game all the time? I mean, like, is, is it that important? If it's my game, it's your game. Of course, it's that important. You know, like uh, the, the ball players, like, they have you know, their, their own personal stats. But their own personal stats, like, like if, if they got a, a, a double or a triple if they're playing baseball, a score to go if they're playing hockey, Every single one of those shots on a personal level, if they talk about their own career, I mean, these athletes have careers that are relatively short-lived. So they only have so many games to play, so many opportunities to shoot, to score, to hit, to run. And every single one of those events, every single time they swing the bat or, or move the hockey stick, every single time it directly contributes to their stats. It actually creates their stats and their, if you will, They'll, they're, they're, they're file for history their place in, in hockey, baseball or football history but when you talk about the team like okay so this player you know got a double instead of a triple it doesn't change the team in the larger unless they happen to be playing in the World Series and it happens to be the, the, set, the final the, the ninth inning in the seventh game <laughs> would that make a difference to winning or losing but that's like, that's like a big mitzvah that's a big event but a regular double uh, on a baseball game in June it's not going to change the status of the team we're in a team we're in a team over here we decided this is a global game we're playing. We're trying to change the world. The, the ultimate goal is, is universal transformation. So is it really so valuable to obsess over a single mitzvah? And I said, Al-Tarebbe does not ask this question. And if you think it's a silly question, that's fine. But I, 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 I think that a lot of people not only have this question, but actually subconsciously write off the value or importance that might be placed on individual mitzvahs or seizing every moment, avoiding every possible pitfall. And again, when people think about Yiddishkeit in personal terms, in selfish terms, when they think that they're in an obstacle race and that every single time they do the right thing, they gobble another point, 
and, and that goes into a special vault in heaven, so you lost an opportunity. That's, you only get one game to play. This is, this is the only life you have. You don't get nine lives here. So you have one life, you gotta gobble up as many points as you can, and then you'll be the biggest winner of all. But if it's not that, is it really still so important? And I will pose it to you that not only is it also so important, but when we are finished studying the fifth and maybe the sixth uh, part of this chapter, I hope at least, I hope that as a result of this study, I will become a more meticulously observant Yid, because whenever I learn Tanya, it affects me, and you will all become more meticulously observant in your Yiddishkeit, and in your devotions towards the Creator, because you will realize that you, you, not just part of a team, you personally have a tremendous amount of global responsibility. Okay, enough of this musings, and let's dive into it. Dalter Rebbe now continues. Ka'asher, so we talked about this elevation, this transformation of the material world so that it might be moved from a klipa or husk or extraneous sense into a sense of purposefulness, into a sense of value. So just to remind all of you that klipa means a means to an end. The end is being able to make this world transparent, that this world should be a place that reflects the presence of the Creator and that all of the things that obfuscate and conceal, all of the things that disable us from seeing the Creator, we believe can inherently be changed and transformed. And when all of that falls away, we will see God the way the angels see God, only in a much more profound and meaningful way. And Hashem's dira, Hashem's dwelling place, will be in this world. And in order for that to be accomplished, there's an enormous amount of, well, stuff to get through. We have to work on refining the stuff. In the end, we're going to have gold. Now, we have a, a handful of filth and, 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 and dirt and worse. And we have to refine it in this very intense heat, in this crucible in which we slowly but surely burn away the toxins until in the end, this world will be a golden garden. So we're working on that. And you have to know this, my friends, that the transformation of this world, that taking things from the extraneous level of existence, where they are merely a means to an end, to motivate us, to help us do what we have to do, to make life meaningful, to make this world meaningful so that it should reach its fruition, its maturation, its ultimate destination in a redeemed and holistic Mashiach redemption state. In order for that to happen, kasher kol neshama, so as we're peeling away these klipas, and some of the klipa we said gets transformed, and some of the klipa has simply shattered, ripped away, thrown away like the packaging. Rip off the packaging. Do not try to eat the food in its packaging. Bad idea. Don't even eat the banana with, that, with the peel on. Crack the nut open. Crack the shell. Throw the shell out, and then you can enjoy the macadamia. So in order to turn that, to, to make that happen, and even if you pull away the skin, you may still want to boil, poach, cook, steam, however you want to prepare your potatoes, whatever it is, but you decide you want to get rid of the filth, you wash off the dirt, maybe even going to peel off the skin, then you're going to bake your potato and now, or make it ready so that it's edible, which is like the klipa, the skin, the extraneous part being cast away because it's just bringing the fruit, the essence to you, and then taking that essence and perfecting it and making it edible, making it something which actually can be used so that you can refine it. So in doing all that, this is what we as individuals accomplish 
through our performance of mitzvahs. Says the Alter Rebbe, Kasher Kol Haneshama. When the whole soul, listen carefully, the whole soul, the nefesh holy kiss, and the godly spirit, Shebechol Yisrael, which comprises all of Israel, or that is in its individual state within each member of Yisrael, Hamishalekes, which is divided. In detail, it breaks down into 600,000. Now, 600,000 is this proverbial magical number. The magical number of souls. 600,000 souls. What does that mean? What does it mean, 600,000 souls? So, before we talk about 600,000, I want to talk to you about what Alter Rebbe just said. He said, Kol HaNeshama, Every neshama and every nefesh likis yisrael. He's using like, we're going like from singular to plural, from plural to singular. There's a very important concept that all of you, my friends, need to understand. And that is that all the souls of Israel ultimately comprise a single soul, a single entity. I know it sounds far out. There's so many kinds of people out there. And we disagree with so many of them and are at odds with so many of them. And you're telling me we're all the same. But we really are all the same. There is very little similarity between a toenail and between your brain. But it's exact same DNA markings. And the, the skin that falls off after your sunburn has your DNA just as much as your heart tissue does even though you don't shed heart tissue. It has your DNA markings on it. They're not the same. Epidermis is not, is not cardiovascular muscle. And esophagus is not liver. Liver is not spleen. And neither of those is a heel or a pelvis or bone material, bone density. It's not plasma. Every one of these things has a very, very different cellular structure. If you were to look at it under a microscope and you know what you're looking at, you'd be able to identify what kind of cell this is in a moment. You say, well, this is, a, this is liver cells. And with liver cells, they can regenerate a liver. But you cannot take a spleen and place it into the area of the lungs and expect, well, let's get the, the lungs will kind of graft together and it'll be spleen lung and everything will work out just fine. It won't. The spleen does what a spleen does. And, 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 and the pancreas does what the pancreas does, and the stomach does what the stomach does, and those cells are uniquely built to be able to accomplish that specific purpose. And it can't do anything else. You'll never be able to breathe with your heart, and you'll never be able to pump with your lungs. It's just totally different material. So the next time you think that, well, this person I meet, he's so different from me, imagine if you introduced the heart and the lungs if they actually got to talk together. So, so what, what do you do for a living? The lungs go, oh, I just, I, I expand. And, and every time the mouth opens, you know, there's a, an opportunity. We just, air rushes in and we, we puff up and we're able to, and, to, and then we oxidize the blood that's running through us. And then the heart would say, oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm a pump. I just keep pumping. And the lungs go, that's ridiculous. You pump. What are you pumping for? You have to open up and you have to make room for, they're very different. Obviously, this is a ridiculous conversation. Your lungs and your heart do not get to meet and have coffee together. But when you are going to encounter another yid, remember that all the physicality, all the materiality, which includes not only the corporeal nature, but includes even the, the persona and the personality and the quirks and the hang-ups and the interests and the lack of interest, all these things are only superficial. That is not what the neshama is about. The neshama, the soul, is this eternal thing, which has nothing to do in many ways with everyday life. 
as we know it, with what we define life by. So the neshama, all these neshamas are part of a grand soul, a single soul. And that single soul that has all the same DNA, it has all the same markings, it's ultimately part of a single whole. That's called Klal Yisrael. That's called the plurality of the Jewish people. Or it's called Knesset Yisrael. Knesset Yisrael is a nice name for a synagogue, but it's also the name that's used for the gathering, the congregating of all souls of Israel into a single living, breathing entity. Now, what happens is that despite the fact that it's very hard for us to understand and appreciate the, the, the nature of things, how this is, that all of those souls actually divide up in different pathways, much like the cells of a body or the cells of bodily organs. Now at one time, we were a single cellular structure for a flash, for nanoseconds. Then we began to multiply. That's when we were first conceived. But there is no later infusion. It's not like mom and dad get together and the child is, we, we lay the foundation. And then a cohabitation a month later, we fill in some details. And then there's continued details filled in. There is one moment of conception. That's it, one moment. And supposedly there's a flash of light and that's it. There's a moment of conception. And once that moment, once that magic moment happens, everything that unfolds in the gestation that follows in the time nine months later is following that first moment, which means, it has to mean, that in that first simple moment, everything is contained. There's a, a complex code that is all contained, which is mind-boggling, all contained, which includes everything from height to bone density, from intelligence to personality, from the shape of your eyes to the, to, to, to the shape of your nails, to whether you're athletic or not, to whether you have a tiny defect on some tiny area of the body, everything is in that simple cellular structure. It's all there. So eventually through gestation, it obviously it very much varies and changes. Well, there's this idea of Knesset Yisrael, at one point we're all one, and then Hashem brings this body of souls into existence, and it gestates, and through myriads of worlds, and what we would call choreographed divine evolution, eventually end up with a trove of all these different neshamas. But even when we're all developed, and we got lungs, and hearts, and spleen, and pancreas, and, 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 and all the things that a person has, when all that's there, all that's in place, we still are a single entity. And then that has to divide from there. So it's said that there are 600,000 root souls. There's going to be always a minimum of 600,000 different types of neshamas. I didn't say different types of people, different types of neshamas. Which is the reason, by the way, that the magic number of Jewish people who left Egypt could not be less than 600,000. In fact, it was much more than 600,000 because 600,000 is only the men between the age of 20 to 60, which on a literal level is the age that represents military conscription or the ability to fight, conquer, and settle the land of Israel. But all of those male souls also had female souls because this is a Torah concept that Hashem always creates equality, synergy, balance. Every, every male soul has a female dimension. Every female dimension has a male dimension. That's the idea of Yabashert, if it works right. And by the way, not everybody gets married. So, so maybe if a guy never gets married, there's a girl somewhere in the world who didn't get married either. And unfortunately, they never got it together. Or maybe she married the wrong person. Or maybe he lost his opportunity of choice. But we believe that there is the, the neshama actually begins as a masculine and feminine neshama, a neshama that has both 
propensities, both tendencies, both dimensions. It's called ma and ban, and it gets divided. And the male soul will go to a male, and the female soul will go to a female. And ever since God divided it, we try to put it back together, and that's no simple challenge, as you all know. So this, this idea that 600,000 people left Mitzrayim is not really 600,000. You have to reason that for every male there was a female. Moses was 80. He lived to 120. There was probably some very old Jews. If there were 600,000 men, there were 600,000 women, that gives you 1.2 million. We've got to figure that it was at least as many people that were older than that, which could give us another million people or more. And then there was many, many more children because it says the children, they really proliferated at the end. So the children were far, far larger in number than the people who were older, which means we have to add at least another million people. It's already, we're talking three million people already. But nonetheless, the magic number is 600,000, and then in the Midbar, it jumps up from 600,000 to 603,000. The, the number, though, is a very important number because it said that there are 600,000 souls. Now, the 600,000 souls, even the 600,000 souls left Egypt, were not animating 600,000 bodies, but as I said, rather, three or maybe four million bodies. Or if you want to be very, very, very conservative, two and a half million. But there have to be that many people. So how does that work? Well, it's not that hard to understand. If you could appreciate that a single soul has a masculine and feminine dimension, then you should also be able to appreciate that a single soul can have multiple dimensions. To make it a little easier for you, we could talk about a heart. The heart has millions of cells. The pancreas has millions of cells. Maybe the, the heart is made up of multiple different kinds of muscle. Each one of those muscles has millions of cells. And if you want to take the, the route of uh, quantum physics, so we could talk about neutrons and protons held together by electrons, which create atoms. And every atom actually is a self sustained entity, but the self-sustained entity that's comprised of protons and neutrons or electrons. So every atom actually breaks up into smaller pieces. And now we're talking about on a, a nuclear physics level, we're talking about a level which is impossible for the human mind to be able to, 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 to almost fathom and certainly not capable, capable of seeing this. So we have complete items which are said to be complete, but really they also have subsections. Every cell is made up of subcells, and the subcells are made up of more subcells. And that's the idea that every one of us is a self-contained neshama, but at the same time, we could be part of, or we have to be part of, other root souls. Now, there are far more than 600,000 pe people uh, in the Jewish world today. The number is probably more accurately about 14 million. So we're talking about 14 million people powered by 600,000 souls. Obviously, there's got to be a few of us who are somewhat kindred or sharing a common soul or a common root. Well, we are. Sometimes people talk about meeting somebody and feeling an instant sense of, of, of kindred nature. They just connect with people. They can't even understand why. There is such a concept. That could be. And obviously, there's bashert and male and female and beyond. So all of this is basically a, a description of the concept of the 600,000, which as Moshe Rabbeinu says in the beginning of Deuteronomy, could go ad until the numerous, as numerous as the stars are. And then he says, Yosef aleichem kechem elof pamim, may God multiply that another thousand times. Not a contradiction. So now each of these neshamas 
which is part of a greater or grander neshama, or part of a greater and grander source, which all of these 600,000 come together to comprise a single neshama. So each of those individuals carrying out their assigned task is ultimately part of a bigger picture. And the bigger picture is the transformation of Kalal or Knesset Yisrael, or the transformation of all the, 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 the Klippa nature of all the Neshamas together also comprise what we call a single soul. So when every Neshama, or when every individual, Tikayim kol Nefesh Pratis, when each soul, each Nefesh, Nefesh is the vital soul that animates a physical body, so when each soul that animates a physical body fulfills kol taryag mitzvah satayda, all 613 precepts of the Torah, commandments of the Torah. So what happens then is that the concept of klipas noiga at large will become elevated. Why? Klipas noiga, the fourth, four, the fourth level of klipa, of extraneous reality, is not the extraneous reality that has to be torn down, cast aside, and discarded, but rather that which can be turned around because it's got some light that's got redeeming qualities to it. And that represents the vitality of the material world, but it also represents the vitality that God gives to us, to each of us. But the vitality, the nefesh that each of us is given is part of a larger schematic. And that larger schematic has to be perfected. And the larger schematic can only be perfected when each of us does his or her specific mission in life. And that creates what's called a dira betachtenim. And when each and every one of us does our role, our part, not only are we part of something bigger, not only are we part of Team Klal Yisrael that is together involved in transforming the world and bringing the coming of Mashiach, in a sense, elevating, rarefying the universe, but actually it can only happen when all of us, meaning all of me, all of you, all of us, the whole, the whole of us, the whole of me and the whole of you, when I'm using every ounce of wherewithal, every ounce of ability, and when you're using every ounce of wherewithal and ability, so when all of us are using all of us, all of who we are, then essentially that brings us into a state of universal redemption. In other words, in a certain way, we become like the nerve center for the world. Like, like we are global. So it's really, really important if every Yid does his or her mission because every single member of Am Yisrael has an oversized responsibility. So when we talk about us being a chosen nation, first of all, it has nothing to do with race. That's ridiculous. It doesn't make a difference what color you are. It doesn't make a difference what gender you are. It doesn't make a difference what your hang-ups are. None of that is it's all irrelevant. Souls aren't colors. So that's skin colors. Souls don't have skin. Souls aren't short and souls aren't tall. They're not obese, overweight, or fit. They're souls. So every soul, every soul of Yisrael is chosen by Hashem and given an extra added responsibility, an enormous added responsibility. And just like a person who has unique gifts, if they're gifted with a brilliant mind, and they don't do anything, they don't amount to anything. They want to do something menial, something simple, and just chill out and relax and... You know, just get through life. Muddle through life, having as much fun as they could. But, but you're a person who could have solved 
the biggest problems. You have the ability to transform the world economy. You could have discovered the cure to cancer. You could have been the person who could have redesigned agriculture, as a person actually did, and saved a billion lives. Instead, you play video games. So that's terrible. It's like a crime against humanity. It's a crime against the universe. A person who is not really capable of much else. It's all they can do. The best they can do is be this very average or mediocre mediocrity. It's all they can do. And the person was deficient. They didn't accomplish as much as they should. They should have made a living and not fought at all. Instead, they fought in their house because they, they weren't, weren't bringing home the paycheck that they should have. Okay, who did you hurt? You hurt your loved ones. You hurt your children. What if this is a person that could have made a global change, but they chose not to because they're lazy? So you look at these two people and say, the latter has much more to answer for. Why? <laughs> Why? Because the latter, the latter has given such potential and didn't do anything about it. So ability is directly linked to responsibility. The fact that we have greater abilities means we have spiritual abilities, means we have greater responsibility. And the fact that we could have a bigger impact means that we necessarily should or must have a bigger impact. It's an obligation. It's not just a privilege. And every obligation is a privilege. It's just like the person who's wealthy has a privilege of providing for those who don't have. It's also an obligation, not a contradiction. Both are true. As members of Am Yisrael, we have an obligation. And that obligation comes along with an amazing privilege. You can do something about that. Now, you could ask me the question, what do you, what do you mean? What is, what is the Altar Rebbe saying? Every single Yid should fulfill all 613 mitzvahs? That actually makes no sense. Because some of the 613 mitzvahs are male-oriented mitzvahs. You can't have a circumcision if you're not male. And some of those mitzvahs are female-oriented mitzvahs. A man doesn't menstruate. He can't go to the mikvah. He can't accomplish that mitzvah. And many others. Some mitzvahs are incumbent upon kohanim, but kohanim, they can't do the mitzvahs that the Israelites have. The mitzvah of the Israelites is to give the truma, the mitzvah of the kohen is to bring the offering. The kohen can't give the truma. That's, he is a kohen. The Israelite can't give the mitzvah, do, do the blessing to the Jewish people that the Kohen is supposed to do because he's not a Kohen. And the Levite has his mitzvah. And by the way, Kohenim and Levites are not allowed to change roles. And then there's some mitzvahs that are unique to people who have the privilege of sitting on the Jewish judiciary. It's a Sanhedrin mitzvah. The Sanhedrin fulfills it on behalf of the nation. The high court, the high ecclesiastical court of the Jewish people. Some mitzvahs are unique to the king. One person in a generation. He's got to write an extra Torah scroll. He has certain prohibitions that no other Jew has. The Kohen Gadol, the big kahuna, has certain prohibitions that nobody else has. And I could go on. A regular Kohen is not allowed to get involved with a corpse. And a regular Israelite is mandated to, to perform that chesed shalemis, that eternal kindness of truth in which they provide human dignity to human remains. So the point is, it sounds actually ridiculous to make a statement like, every individual Jew will do all 613 mitzvahs. That is impossible. 
by Torah definition. So what does it mean? So this brings us to the notion of reincarnation. Reincarnation does not mean what most people think or tend to think it means. And that's because for most of us, reincarnation is colored by particular ideas of, uh, of Eastern faith systems that have nothing to do with Judaism. And since the name reincarnation, or the noun reincarnation, for whatever reason in the Western world has come to reflect that value, when people say reincarnation, that's what they think of. But that's not correct. You and I never lived before. We never lived before. But we are linked to souls that lived before. Now, the, the root soul we come from certainly had many lives before. And so, I was talking to a young lady today, and she went through a very, very bad divorce. And uh, very unfortunate, but a beautiful child came out of that union. And, and um, I said to her, you know, there's no reason to lament the fact that you made that decision. You made the decision at the time based on circumstances that was the best of your ability. And I said, that wasn't your destiny for life. Why did Hashem arrange you? Why did you have to go? I can't tell you why you have to go through the pain. But I'll ask you this, I said to her. I said, for, to have that beautiful child, for that beautiful child to come through, I said, that's like the most amazing, beautiful child, right? So Hashem arranged that amazing child. Now, why? I said, probably has something to do with Gilgul and reincarnation. It has something to do with, with past lives. Everything we do today is impacted by something. I mean, <laughs> that is in fact the case. Everything you and I are doing today is impacted by something. We are part of history. We're the continuum of history. So it's not unreasonable to say that if people wouldn't have done what they did 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, we wouldn't be here today. Obviously. You know, when my father was a baby, he, he, had, he had pneumonia. And my grandfather found a, a, a U.S. airman who gave him his personal uh, personal package in, in, in the Soviet Union it was still right after World War II there was still U.S. airmen stationed in, 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 in Russia and he gave him his personal supply of penicillin because there was no penicillin in, in, in the Soviet Union at the time and that saved my father's life right now who that airman is who will ever know he may not even remember having given it away who knows right but look what happened because of AD that happened 70 plus years ago a deed, a moment of kindness. A moment of kindness that transformed today hundreds of lives. Maybe thousands, maybe tens of thousands of lives because of all the people that were created and the people that they're impacting. So we're all the recipients of the largesse and the kindness, or chas v'shal, not of past, past years. Every one of us is impacted by what happened in the past. It's not unreasonable to say that the burdens that our generation has are the result of the failings of the previous generation and some of the strengths that our generation has are the result of the contributions of the previous generations we have a Jewish infrastructure today why because people slaved and, and and gave everything they could to build that infrastructure when there was no wealth in North America at least very little of it and people gave everything they could to be able to create that infrastructure and we we just take it for granted here we are we just rode into it so we're able to do what we do because of those deeds. At the same time, many of the failings of Jewish leadership of the 50s and the 60s put us into the situation today where we have this terrible, terrible assimilation and so many Jews being lost. And what are we, try, what are we going to do about it? How are we going to bring all these lost and shamas home? We're always connected to past lives. Some of those, that's a little more intimate. Some of that's actually something our neshama, our 
the person we're related to, a person whose neshama had the same root source of our neshama that we now, and therefore we're part of like a line, and the line is made up of many dots. So each dot receives what they receive from the dot before. And if you have a, a, a line that's made up of 10,000 dots, the 10,000th dot received whatever it only got to where it is because of the first dot and each dot or each circle led to the next and eventually that created this line that's so there's this linear thing and there is a concept of gilgal there is a concept of one line leads to the next and they're all related and so it is eminent, eminently possible in fact it is most likely improbable that a lot of the things we're doing are making up for lost business you know here's a, a fascinating example that maybe you could relate to there's a Mishnah that says that Hillel once met a skull. And he starts talking to the skull. He says, Because you drown others, that's why you would drown. And then he says, The ones who drown you will be drowned. So there's a Medrash that tells us that this is the skull of the Pharaoh. And who did he drown? All the Jewish babies. So what happened in the end? The Pharaoh escapes. He goes to a place called Nineveh. He becomes the king. And in the end, he was... He was, he was, he was Deposed and drowned. So the Arizal says, so why should his drowners drown? And Arizal says, no, 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 it's not his drowners. Hillel turned around to his disciples and said, the safe metafaya, whoever will drown you, meaning you, Am Yisrael, you too, from they'll drown in the end too. And the Arizal says, Hillel was a Gilgal, an extension of the Nisham of Moshe Rabbeinu. And because he was an extension of Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu, so to speak, he faces off with Pharaoh the first time. So now it's like unfinished business. Because Moses never meets the Pharaoh again. And that, that final exchange has to come to complete the circle. So Hillel, talking now millennia later, who is connected directly to Moshe Rabbeinu, Hillel has to meet the physical remains, the skull of Pharaoh that miraculously floats up out of nowhere. And he, it's a big tzaddik, operating at a different frequency, immediately knows what this is and what he has to do. And how what he's doing now completes something from the past. So each and every one of us is given all kinds of missions and tasks in which we're completing things from the past. And each of the 600,000 souls, in the end, gets to do all the 613 mitzvahs. So in some iterations or incarnations, it'll be a Kohen, and some it'll be a Levi, and some it'll be in Israel. Maybe in some it'll be a leader, a Melech, a Kohen Gadol. In some it'll be... In some it'll be a, a man, in some it'll be a woman, and so on and so on and so forth. In one version, there was a divorce. In another version, a marriage. All these different mitzvahs that got taken care of. So we, we, we have to believe, and this is the idea, that it says, No drop of holiness, no, the matter that makes up souls will never be lost. And that in the end, every single neshama will be brought back home. This is, this is, this, that's the eschatology of, of, of Torah Judaism. And therefore, in the end, every neshama will fulfill all the mitzvahs and will be elevated through that. And by elevating all the neshamas, all the souls, the world becomes elevated. In other words, it's not just a klipa out there. It's not just the notion that we have to utilize every ounce of wherewithal in the world harnessing it for a holy purpose, for a dira b'tachtoinim, to make a dwelling place for God. But we, the construction workers who are on this project, also are part of that perfection. We also have to be elevated. We also have to be fully developed. And only when both 
those who are supposed to carry out this elevation, as long as the subject or, or object, pardon me, upon which the elevation is being carried out, the object being the world, the subject being the neshamas, the souls that are involved with worldly or material matter, only when all of us are fully elevated, only then can the world reach its fruition. So what happens is, if I am not doing my job, and my job means 100% of what the ability that I'm being given, then I'm deficient. And if I'm deficient, if I am deficient as an individual, I'm not an individual. I am part of something much greater. So if I don't self-actualize in my individualistic way, I'm ultimately robbing Am Yisrael. It's the nation of Israel that loses something. In the same way that you could understand that if there might be a member of the Jewish people, of Am Yisrael, who is capable of performing some kind of incredible duty, incredible deed that will impact the lives of tens of thousands if not millions and that was deficient and just didn't do his or her mission even though they could have done that so, so that would be terrible that would be the nation would be lacking the nation would be poorer instead of being enriched so think about that and then personalize it make it your own that's the story with every single one of us every one of us has this Global responsibility, a global responsibility to every member of Am Yisrael we meet, a global responsibility to the world because only when Am Yisrael is who Am Yisrael should be can the world become what it can be. This is, this is what Hashem places upon us. Now, that's why we have to do all the mitzvahs because, you see, the Alter Rebbe is now going to explain how every negative mitzvah, the impact of a negative mitzvah, at least on a, on a very elemental, elemental level, and then he'll talk about the need for the positive mitzvahs. And you'll see how each and every one of the negative mitzvahs is required. It has to be observed. It has to be kept carefully. And each of the positive mitzvahs necessarily has to be performed in order for us to reach our spiritual potential. Otherwise, we'll ever be deficient. So let's say this. In order for an neshama to reach its potential, what has to happen is the neshama has to tear itself away from the dominion of klipa and has to align itself with the dominion of kedusha. Let me give you a, a, a lame or a silly example. Suppose that you're working on a device. I mean, I am right now working on a device. And I'm, a, I'm on Wi-Fi now, so hopefully the Wi-Fi is working well and you're hearing and seeing me even though I'm not hearing and seeing you, but at least you're able to learn Tanya, as I'm able to teach Tanya, and in this way we'll both be completed. I'm, I'm, I'm not fulfilling my destiny if I'm not teaching Tanya. Maybe tonight you're not fulfilling your destiny if you're not learning Tanya. Baruch Hashem, tonight we're doing what we're supposed to do. We're both studying Torah. We're each doing our part and trying to enrich ourselves. Now, suppose, just suppose, I was on the wrong Wi-Fi. Let's say I'm on a Wi-Fi that makes me hackers and while I'm on that Wi-Fi I don't even know that because that that's an, a, not a protected network while I'm teaching the hackers 